Welcome to the Water People Podcast. Today, we're in conversation with two-time big wave world champ, Paige Alms. Paige is an all-around water person who excels when the ocean is one foot or 50, whether through wing dinging on unbroken swell lines or becoming the first woman to get barreled at Piahi. Paige was a founding member of the Committee for Equity in Women's Surfing and is a guiding light for the next generation of water folk. This episode is presented in partnership with Who Gives a Crap. If nothing else, I feel like 2020 has taught us how much we collectively value our health, our community, and toilet paper. (laughs) Yes, that's right, Lauren. What about the time when we were with our little guy in the pool and a swimming lesson went horribly wrong and I was holding him as he let out a big brown cloud into the pool? And at that point, we really realised how unprepared we were and we had zero cleaning supplies, toilet paper, napkins, tissues, anything at all. We had nothing. Basically just super parenting rookies. And we'd also just rocked up to the swimming lesson covered in sand, zinc and basically pretty feral compared to all the other parents. <laughs> and so since that day, we have always stored a spare roll of who gives a crap in our car or bags or anywhere, basically, so that we're ready for anything our toddler's going to throw at us. <laughs> we support who gives a crap because they're committed to using their business for good. No plastic packaging, TP made from recycled textbooks, and they donate half of their profits to help improve sanitation and build toilets for the two billion living without one. They know that making a difference begins with small changes that can have big impact. You can make a difference with your TP budget too by going to whogivesacrap.org right now and use the coupon code WATERPEOPLE to get 10 bucks off your first subscription. That's $10 off your first subscription purchase at whogivesacrap.org with coupon code WATERPEOPLE. Our podcast comes to you from the coastal land and waters of both the Bundjalung and Gubby Gubby nations. We'd like to acknowledge these traditional custodians and pay respects to elders past, present, and emerging. We'd also like to extend that respect to all First Nations people this podcast ripples out toward. We always start the podcast with a question about a time or experience after which you were never the same. Do you have, do you have a time like that that you'd be willing to share? Yeah, I mean, when you asked me about that, I had to put some thought into it because I feel like I've had, I mean, I'm sure you guys can relate, so many moments in your life that are so memorable and definitely have changed your path or perception. But for sure, for me, I'd say the biggest one was when I was eight years old. Actually, I was seven. My mom... Um, I was born in Victoria, British Columbia, on the west coast of Canada. And when I was seven years old, my mom sold the house that I had grown up in, in Victoria. And it was this crazy dream of hers to travel around Australia. And I don't really know where that came from. And it's actually kind of popped into my mind recently to ask her more about that. Because thinking back on it, I'm just like, why did she want to do that? (laughs) And so she sold everything. And we packed up and we flew to Maui for, I think we were here for maybe a month before we went to Australia. My aunt and uncle um, have lived here for, I don't know, 
40 something years. And so we came to Maui quite often, once or twice a year to visit them. And so on our way over to Australia, we stopped here. And then I think I turned eight and we went to Oz and my mom bought a van in Sydney and we drove around the entire country for 10 months. Oh, wow. And that experience at that age, I truly believe impacted the way that I see things and the way that I grew up having my perception on life was just different because of that experience. And I mean, we traveled the entire country. We did Sydney to Cairns, Cairns back down to Sydney, went to Tasmania, then Sydney all the way over to Perth, Perth up to Darwin, and then down through the middle um, to Uluru, and then back up to Cairns and back down to Sydney. (laughs) It was a, a crazy, crazy adventure, especially at that age and just doing it with just my mom. And looking back on it, it just seems like a kind of like a movie. It should be a movie, actually. It was a pretty wild experience. Um, <laughs> but that definitely changed to, I think, it changed our path as a family unit, for sure. And I think a huge part of that travel and why we ended up on Maui. Because um, at the end of that trip, we were, we came back to Maui to visit again. And my mom was like, I'm done with the cold. We're not going back to Canada we're staying here. (laughs) And at that age, it was, you know, you know, I was nine by then. And I remember being pretty hesitant and, you know, I wanted to go back home and I'm just so glad we did it. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned that it, that, that trip changed your perception. Do you have a sense of how, like, was it just opening up your eyes to the world as a young girl or can you think of particular ways that you remember being shifted? Yeah. I mean, for sure, my interaction with people, um, we camped like 95% of the time. Um, As you guys know, living there in Australia, it's like the best way to see that country. I mean, every town has a campground. Like it's so rad to be encouraged to travel the country. But I think for sure my interaction with people at, you know, when I was eight years old, I was always pretty independent and I knew who I was, but when you're taken out of your bubble of your comfort zones of school and, you know, your community that you grew up in and you're put into a completely new country continent and you're just like this little ant and you have to start interacting with people on a completely different level, especially when you're traveling and you're moving around day by day. Like, I mean, some places we would stay for longer, but you'd get to know these friends at this campground or your buddies at the beach that you'd meet and form these relationships. And then it was on to the next and how you interacted with adults, you know, like I made friends with, all these adults camping around. I remember just being like, oh, this is the coolest experience because I get to make friends of all ages. <laughs> and I think the the way that I looked at my mom too changed at that age because 
I knew no different than being raised by a single mom, but to watch my mom like pick up and go and restart and completely restart a new life going and traveling this country, but then also the transition of moving to Maui and starting completely fresh. That definitely gave me a look at like an independent, strong woman. And I mean, now I look at it way differently, but when I was a kid at that age, like I just thought my mom was just such a badass, you know? (laughs) Do you not not feel that way now? Oh, I definitely do. More so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's radical. What a bold life choice to take, to go with your only child and travel around a country where you know virtually no one that is yeah just a step step in her youngest child my mom had had um, my brother and sister were 16 and 17 years older than me so she had raised two kids already basically by the time I was born so this was definitely like a a complete life change um Mm. in the sense that I mean they were they're 25, 24, 25 when we left Canada. So it was definitely a, a transformation for my mom. Well, I loved seeing her in um, in the film. And you've had two biographical films cover your story in the last few years, The Wave I Ride and Paige. And in both of those films, there are close-ups of a tattoo that you have. And I was wondering <laughs> if you'd talk to us about that tattoo, what it says and what inspired you to get it? Yeah, I have uh, a tattoo that says fate on the inside of my left arm that I got when I was 17. Yeah, I guess as you do when you're going through a rebellious stage in your life, you get a tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But at the time it was, I was, I think I was just kind of transforming on, you know, being a teenager and then like transforming into an adult. And I had gone through a few different things in my life at the time of like kind of being frustrated with a career path and relationships and that kind of thing. And I had always kind of felt this strong connection with understanding that things are kind of just going to be as they're meant to be and kind of trusting in that process It's funny because I believe that everything is going to unfold in the way that it should for you. But I also believe in manifesting your destiny at the same time. So yeah, it was, it was just a time period in my life that I, I felt really connected with that phrase, that word. And yeah, that's kind of how I got it. It makes me think about your, your mom and that adventure around Australia and, like when you were saying that then about, you know, what will be, will be, I can't help but envision all the kind of loose characters that go to Australian campgrounds and the sort of, <laughs> you know, like the, the um, yeah, the Bushmen and the, the wild families and all of that. And your mum would have been totally aware of that, you know, especially by having a, a young daughter in tow and and just being in a new space and, and I just feel like that would have to spill over like it sounds like it has into your life through things like that decision to get that tattoo in teenage years, but then also like watching you surf big waves and and the kind of the patience it looks like you have to sit there and know, oh, yeah, this, you know, when 
the wave that's going to come for me comes, I'll be here and I'll be ready and I can take that wave. And that seems to me like one of those moments where you're, you make a certain amount of effort, but then you also kind of have to stop pushing and stop trying so hard at some stage as well and just sort of be in the right place. Yeah, um, and kind of surrendering, right? Mm, mm. And so does that is that something that you feel is like kind of consistent in your life? Does that pop up in, you know, in the water and out of the water in, in different occasions? Yeah, for sure. And it's definitely something that's always there and kind of in the the back of my mind. I wouldn't say that it's at the forefront all the time, but I try to look back and remember that it's there because yeah, I mean for sure in surfing it's I don't find myself to be a patient person, but in the ocean I am. So it's very it's very funny like growing up as a kid I was always very impatient and would get frustrated if things weren't kind of rolling the way that I wanted them to. And then the ocean kind of gave that to me, you know, and I feel like I'm almost overly patient sometimes <laughs> in the water. I'm like, gosh, I should be riding more waves, you know, <laughs> but I'm always kind of waiting for the good ones. But yeah, it definitely transforms over into, I think, everything that I do in my life and, you know, doing as much as you possibly can to get where you want to be, but also kind of giving in and just letting it unfold in a certain way. The balance. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but we wanted to take a moment to recognize the generous folks who have supported us this season. The Water People podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Sanook. In 1997, founder Jeff Kelly started out with one simple goal, to make people smile and to encourage them to pass it on. Sanook has been advocating for a more playful and inclusive surfing culture for more than two decades while crafting some of the comfiest footwear around. Thanks, Sanook, for your support and for encouraging water people around the globe to protect their happy places. Learn more about Sanook's partnership with the Surfrider Foundation at sanook.com. Thanks also to Gary McNeil Concepts, who build cosmic surfboards for cosmic people. We love Gary McNeil's enthusiasm for building boards, and especially his passion for combining recycled and plant-based materials to craft boards that simultaneously prioritize durability, sustainability, and high performance. For custom orders and to check out the gallery of boards currently available, head to his website, garymcnealconcepts.com.au. Dave has talked a lot about his approach to risk management when surfing big waves or free diving. And that sort of segs into something I wanted to ask you about, which is whether or not you have a particular philosophy or approach to managing risk. And if patience is a big part of that when you're in a lineup like Piahi. Yeah. Risk management. That's such a good one. I've gotten so much better at that. (laughs) 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 Or I guess I've been trying to get better at it. (laughs) How? What what tools are you employing to improve? This thing called age. (laughs) 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 Um, I mean, for sure, surfing big waves, I've always kind of had the same approach as now but yeah as far as risk management goes I mean I feel like I've kind of had 
a similar approach now as I always have riding big waves. It's just like trying to find the ones that are meant for you or the ones that you want rather than kind of forcing the issue. And I mean, it's getting a little bit trickier nowadays because the lineups are just so much more crowded and you're so few and far between during these big wave sessions, especially here, you know, like on Maui during an average winter, you might only get a handful of sessions out there. Like I surfed Jaws three, four times last winter. I paddled three times and towed two days. So five. So, I mean, that's over the course of seven months. It's kind of crazy, you know? And Last winter was a very slow winter for us, but those sessions are few and far between. So you kind of kick yourself if you're not catching a lot of waves. You know, you constantly want to be riding waves, but I also don't want to force the issue because I know that, you know, picking the right waves has led to so many amazing experiences and then picking bad ones has led to a lot of bad (laughs) experiences also. And I just don't want to get injured anymore and big waves are so powerful and take such a toll on your body mentally for sure and physically. But the last two winters I pulled my hamstring and I limped around for months and then didn't surf very good for a few more months after that and just getting over getting hurt. So I've been like, okay, I need to be even more methodical on picking just the good days to go out and not trying to you know, trying to avoid the FOMO. That's something I feel like just the fear of missing out on a swell, even though you know it's not very good or you go out and you're looking at it and you're like, it's just not good out there. And making the decision to not force it if it's not meant to be. And But then there's days too where you go out and you just feel on and the conditions aren't necessarily that good, but you just have it in you that you're like, okay, this is the day. And I guess listening to my intuition more and also finding a lot of joy in riding really small waves recently. (laughs) (laughs) That's crucial. That's like, that's really crucial because you know, it's a, it's a funny thing with peak experiences in surfing. I think where if your peak experience in surfing is something that happens really inconsistently, like big waves, then we kind of set ourselves up for being in the doldrums a lot, you know, and like spinning our wheels a lot and perhaps looking for peak moments and highs in other ways that maybe aren't so good. So it's like, you know, you see some people fall into partying or drinking or whatever, or some people take up other pursuits that are equally dangerous or whatever. And, and, you know, I think in that doco that we watched, the page one, where there was one of your friends saying you were sitting at home crying all day pretty much when he was pumping and you were injured Uh, I I definitely wasn't crying but (laughs) (laughs) well I would be I would be yeah I would be really grumpy if that was on my doorstep I'd I'd happily tell everyone I was crying because that would that would be torturous and so so how do you deal with that like how do you deal with that dip that comes for all surfers but especially for surfers who love quite rare conditions like what do you do to weather those dips in life how do you fill that space i guess finding joy and love in other aspects of wave riding and just life i mean my garden 
brings me a lot of joy in my life. And it's there and it's every day. And I might not get those extreme highs that I get riding a giant wave, but it is a pretty consistent happiness and a form of happiness that I really enjoy. But I'd say this summer and being, I say stuck, but I don't feel stuck here on Maui for, I mean, I've been here for six months now and that's the longest period of time that I've been home in probably a decade. Like it feels amazing. I mean, I'm pretty consistently home during the winters mostly, but I still, you know, dip in and out for a trip here or there. And it's been so amazing to be here, but we have had a huge lack of surf this summer. Like it's been, it started off pretty fun and pretty consistent in May and June and then basically nothing the past few months. And so I, I picked up a uh, wing foiling and I have been absolutely in love with foil surfing for the past couple of years, but adding a, a wing and learning how to fly in a completely different way has been just so eye-opening and amazing and I've become completely obsessed with like non-breaking waves <laughs> <laughs> perfect for summer so perfect good. for summer Paige you said earlier that you when you're in the lineup surfing big waves at Piahi you look for those waves that are meant for you that are coming for you what's that conversation like I was just wondering if there's anything that you can articulate about what it feels like when you get that affirmation of like, yeah, this is, we're meant to, to flow in sync with each other, myself and this wave. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny because I feel like sometimes it's really hard to tap into that, that emotion and that connection when it is so busy out there and so much energy I mean, in the water itself, but then with all the different people out there. And I've always been someone like in big crowds that I, I get stimulated by a lot of different energy and being in a crowded lineup. I mean, everyone can say that they don't do well in a crowd, but I definitely find it harder to kind of tap into that when it's busy. And that's why it's been such a joy and a part of the competitions that I've really enjoyed is having that empty lineup with just a handful of people out there and really being able to just kind of like talk to the ocean and, you know, looking back at your lineups. And I mean, Jaws is just one of the most beautiful places in the world. When you look back up the mountain and up the valley there, it's a pretty special place. So kind of trying to just, you know, talk myself into being like, Hey, this is, your spot and go out and find those waves and sometimes they come and sometimes they don't and for sure I'm definitely frustrated on the days that it's harder and harder to find a wave or you've paddled for a bunch and have just barely missed them but I feel like that's kind of the joy of surfing is constantly being on that hunt right for that feeling that you want and I mean it only takes one on big, beautiful days like that. It takes one wave to give you that feeling that sometimes you've gone a year without feeling and really being able to harness that, I mean, maybe five second ride and hold on to that experience for as long as possible. I love that it's, it's so short, that it's such a, a quality, not quantity 
experience. It's a real distillation of the surfing <laughs> yeah. experience, isn't it? <laughs> I know. It's like try and find some other pursuit where it comes down to like, you know, five seconds of clock time that you devote an entire life to. <laughs> it's pretty rare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of competition, I wanted to ask you about the Committee for Equity in Women's Surfing. You founded it in 2016 with Kiala Kenley, Andrea Muller, and Bianca Valenti. And earlier this year, you all decided to dissolve the committee. I wanted to ask you why and if you feel like equity has been attained in big wave surfing. Yeah, I mean, the committee was founded originally in a pursuit to kind of gather the big wave women together. A lot of us are so spread out over the world. And I mean, Andrea lives up the road from me. We're the closest to each other. But besides that, it's a, it's a flight for everyone to kind of connect, you know, girls on Oahu in Australia, California, Europe, um, South America. So it's, we're all so far apart. So this committee originally started with the intention of kind of bringing our voices together in hopes of getting an event or being a part of the event at Mavericks. And it was kind of a funky time and it ended up being just the four of us and the four of us had been friends in the past, but definitely over the course of what we've gone through in the past four years together, um, four or five years, we're all like really, really connected and really good friends. And Definitely with the WSL announcing their equal pay two years ago, was that was definitely a time-changing thing. And I know we had a small hand in being a part of that. And this year... I would say more than a small hand even. <laughs> but this year, it was it's funny because we dissolved the committee, but we didn't dissolve our friendships or what we're about and what we're still trying to gain and and learn but the committee it was just time for it to dissolve as far as what it set out to do we did and we're kind of in the middle us four surfers kind of figuring out what we're going to do now and um, we've been speaking with a lot of different people and athletes and kind of trying to formulate a plan and how we can help other athletes in different sports attain the same thing. Pay equity. Pay equity. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of tricky because it's very time consuming and could technically be a full-time job. And none of us really have as much time as we would like to completely devote to that, but we're working on it. And now with just the situation of not being able to travel and we've had more time to kind of connect and we've been doing some zoom meetings and just throwing ideas out there right now, but it's been nice to kind of take a step back and have a little bit of a breather from that because there were a couple years there where it was a lot of energy being put towards that and trying to make things better. And it was definitely a little draining and we're excited to, to be kind of moving forward. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt that the work you all put in has had massive impacts, not only in the big wave surfing arena, but across the sport of surfing to make it the first kind of US-based sport that offers 
equal pay. This is kind of a naive question, but what does it feel like to be two-time big wave world champ and to now be paid equally for the equal work that your male peers are paid? Like, What did it feel like before to be attaining and putting your life on the risk in similar ways to male surfers, but being paid so much less? Like, was there, was there any change in the feeling of being handed that equal check? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely fulfilling. And it feels like people are paying attention. And it feels really exciting to be amongst it. But more so, it feels very fulfilling knowing that from now on, all the kids that I see growing up at the beach will know no different and will grow up seeing that and seeing that the men and the women are making the same on this athletic stage. That's what's really exciting. Knowing that, you know, what you see and is what you dream of. And like I watched my heroes and what they did and formulated my dreams because of what I saw. And then as you get older, you kind of, you know, I realized, oh, I kind of need to create this different path for myself because the my dreams have changed. And now I'm like, okay, all of these young girls and boys growing up will see have a different perception on men and women competing in any sport, hopefully. But, you know, being around kids here at the beach on Maui and just knowing that they won't know any different is that's just the best feeling. And that excites me because that's kind of what we set out to do. You know, it definitely was like, Hey, we need to step up and speak up for what we want, but it's not who and what we are speaking up for. It's for the next generation and putting in the work that um, needed to be done in order to change. Where did that come from Paige? Um, Because, you know, a lot of people who attain a certain level of, you know, accomplishment in their chosen field look for ways to give back and to, you know, balance the scales a little bit because generally you receive a lot if you are at the top of your chosen field. So, you know, you're kind of balancing it out by giving some back. Where did that come from for you? Because it sounds like it's such a deep part of who you are and, and what you do and what you care about. Did it, did it come from your mom or is it a cultural thing in Maui that instilled that in you? I think a little bit of everything, for sure, the way that I was raised. And I mean, it was definitely being brought up by my mom and the values that she passed on to me. And then for sure, growing up in a small community here, when you're having success, the people around you have success. And it's really fun to be able to share those experiences because, I mean, winning events and titles and having all these accolades, like they're really cool. And I mean, I'm sure it'll be cool to share stories like with my grandkids one day, but they're kind of just trophies and labels. And they're really only special if you get to share them with other people. And definitely, like, I know that that's for sure like our community and all of the athletes and kids that have grown up and become professional athletes here on Maui definitely feel the same in the sense that, you know, like you got to share what you're being given. And I definitely feel very privileged to be able to do what I do and 
to be able to say that I'm a professional surfer at, I mean, two years ago, officially. (laughs) Um, And to be able to share that with my community and with my friends and family and people around us, like that's what it's all about. And Mm. it's not, it doesn't just take one person, you know, it's a, it's definitely community based for sure. No, mm. that's great. You had a critical mentorship with surfer Chris Vandervoort in your formative years. We just watched an episode of the new Big Wave series, No Small Feet, which features you in that role of mentor for Florida-born surfer and five-time SUP champ, Izzy Gomez, who's transitioning into big wave surfing. Can you talk about that process of shifting into being a mentor now? Yeah, it makes me feel old. (laughs) No, not at all. But um, I feel like when I was growing up, I definitely had a handful of people that helped shape me into the surfer I am, I guess, in the career that I have. And Chris was definitely the reason why I got into surfing big waves and I don't really know if I would have, if he didn't really push me, he truly believed that I could be really good at it. And he was always very passionate about paddling big wave surfing in a time, you know, when I was a teenager, Jaws was on the map with toe surfing and Laird and Dave and what they were doing. And Chris was always like, no, it's all about paddling. And he was the one that took me out for my first real big wave paddle in session. Um, when I was 15 years old and it was almost, I wouldn't say forced, but it was like, you're going to do this. And I didn't really have a choice (laughs) and I loved it and I thrived and I truly felt like it was something that I could be really good at. And I felt very confident in the ocean when waves are big and scary, I guess. So that feeling of having someone there that knew I guess my skill level and my confidence and abilities in the water and being able to kind of guide me in the direction of, you know, what waves to choose, what boards to ride. Here's the lineup. This is how you read this lineup and tides and wind direction and all of these things that at that age, you're just kind of, you know, you're a sponge and you're soaking it all up. And now There are a handful of young up-and-comers here on Maui in particular that there's some amazing athletes that are, you know, that are just kind of scratching the surface as far as getting into big wave surfing and putting on some absolutely amazing performances at such young ages. It's just so rad to see. Like, I didn't feel comfortable out at Jaws until like five years ago. So watching them you know, kind of sprout into these like superhumans has been rad to kind of be in the mix with them. And Izzy and Annie uh, Riker here on Maui are two girls that have really like stepped up and um, another girl, Skylar Lickle, there's three girls here that are all pretty young and are just so excited about surfing big waves. And for me, that makes me so happy and so excited because there hasn't been anyone in a very long time like younger than me that has showed interest in surfing big waves. Like it's, we have so many amazing guys and girls surfing here on Maui, like incredible talent, but not very many of them 
have showed interest in surfing big waves. So any little bit of help that I can do, I mean, I wouldn't title myself as, you know, their mentor or anything, but I am just trying to help them in any way that I can and just encourage them because they're really talented and capable. And I feel like so confident in their abilities and just, I want to see them thrive. And so it's been fun to kind of, you know, take that back step and be able to share the knowledge that I've learned over the course of, of, you know, the past 10 years of surfing out there and, and also be pushed by them because, you know, they're hot on my heels (laughs) in so many ways. And it's constantly keeping um, that fire under, under me to, you know, want to continue to be better and to continue this love for chasing big waves. And it's just been fun. The feeling's mutual, you know, like I feel like I can share what I know with them and then they spark my fire. <laughs> Have you had any moments where you've thrown them under the bus out there and you've been like, oh man, what am I doing to these poor kids? Like, have you, <laughs> have you taken them out to a lineup where, when they've just come undone or anything like that? Have you had one of those? No. Not at all. I mean, really? These these girls are all like they'd be totally fine without me. It's just I I think it's more so of like a friendship. You know, you don't want to see your friends get beat up or um, throttled. I'm like, here comes a giant set paddle fast. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Oh, it's so great. I mean, it's really seeing the work that you've put in come to fruition already. Like you're seeing the fruits of the labor that you all put in with the committee in just normalizing surfing big waves for women and now for girls. Like that's, that's amazing to see that change within just a decade already. It's awesome. And it's, it's just exciting because it's like, there aren't very many women surfing big waves and it's just nice to know now that on any given swell out there, I'll have, friends to surf out there with you know I mean all the guys are my friends too but I mean just having other women around it's nice in a lineup of 60 guys to have four or five women up (laughs) (laughs) I hope those numbers can balance out one day I know I know for lineups in Australia that have women in them there's often a better dynamic in the water when there's a bit more diversity out there for sure it's good Mm. you were talking earlier about injury and trying to avoid injury In our last little interview that we did for the book that I put together, you mentioned concussion. And I was really interested to know about what you've learned about how frequent they may actually be for big wave surfers in particular. Yeah, I mean, it's still something that's so new and fresh. And I feel like just more recently being talked about. I don't think we're all as aware as we are now about the impacts of, you know, what we're going out and doing. I mean, you hit the water so much harder when you're going so much faster and these waves have so much more power than, you know, a head high wave. So I know for sure that I've had multiple mild concussions. I wouldn't say that I've had anything that I've been put out for long periods of time due to that, but I have had multiple friends. I mean, Albie last year had a very serious head injury from a crazy wipeout. And I mean, I just mentioned to him 
couple days ago in the water that he should come pick up his guns for winter. And he was like, what, what guns? And I'm like, Oh, the boards that you ordered for the winter last year. And then he got hurt and never came to get them. And he's like, Oh, totally forgot about that. I had a brain injury (laughs) and he was out of the water for a very long time. And I mean, concussions are just so different than a torn MCL or a shoulder injury or something. It's, um, there's so much that we don't know about the brain. And yeah, I feel like that's probably the scariest injury for me is having a, a traumatic head injury and the unknown of what to do about it. Mm-hmm. It's scary. And you're a completely different person going through all of that. Like one of my good girlfriends had a bad bike injury a couple months ago, and it was like her third very serious concussion. And And she was at home for two weeks. Like you can't do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Just watching that recovery process and thinking how easily that can happen surfing in general, but definitely surfing big waves. And especially when you're pushing limits and falling and even just getting tossed around. I feel like some of my worst experiences weren't necessarily a wipeout. It was more just getting caught on the inside by a huge wave and the the extreme vulnerability of being thrashed around at such speed and with so much force that, I mean, your brain is definitely getting shook up for sure. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, it's just part of the deal though, really, isn't it? It's like like you were saying earlier, there's there's so much you can do in preparation. There's so much you can do in the moment, but there is a level of out of controlness with all of these pursuits. And that's kind of at the center of why we do them too, isn't it? You know, exactly. so it's a, it's just that fine line of, of um, balancing that. And it's always interesting speaking with people like yourself, Paige, where you can articulate some of these subtle things that are happening because it does all happen quite quickly or I don't know, you can just sort of take surfing as just a little fun activity, sport sort of thing. But, you know, there are so many layers to it if we do want to dive in deeper. And I was curious to know if there are people like on Maui that you spend water time with and you're doing the foiling with the, the wing and foiling in general. Is there a real, you know, water person culture in Maui that's thriving right now in terms of all the different pursuits in order to stay in the water, no matter what conditions? Yeah, for sure. I feel like Maui's definitely been the the breeding ground for water athletes that want to pursue it all. I mean, you can do pretty much everything here. I just wish we could be getting barreled more often, but we definitely have the wide array of waves and wind and types of waves big to small and I mean so many sports have kind of fruited out of Maui you know windsurfing kite surfing foiling uh, strap towing surfing Mm. pretty much everything and we can do it at any time of the year too like even in the summertime I mean like I was saying this new wind foil sport, we call it wing dinging because it's kind of just dorky and <laughs> dorky and fun. And 
you don't have to take it too serious, but even though we're super foil nerds and talk about wings and foils and positions and all this sort of stuff, but it's definitely just a means to get in the ocean every day and ride waves. And I mean, I have a group text that's probably going off right now. Where are you? Where are you? It's windy. And I'd never had that before. You know, it was always like a morning and an evening surf if it was windy. And now it's a morning surf and then a wing foil session and then a surf. And it's just more water time. And so finding, you know, those those new sports or even old sports, I mean, this is, it's nothing new in, in the realm of wind surfing and Mm. using the wind to your advantage and it's just so exciting to be able to see because the next generation of of surfers growing up here on Maui are learning all of these new sports and I mean when I was growing up windsurfing and kiting was lame and our generation was kind of I want to say kind of taught that you know as surfers like that's that's just not what the cool people do. And now it's really cool. And like you're blame if you're not learning how to do these other things. So I don't know, it keeps the stoke alive and why not have more ways to be able to play in the ocean and hang out with your friends and this sport for sure. My number one thing that I love about it is you can just take a couple of your friends and you can get out away from everyone and you can feel like you're getting barreled at this empty point break when you're not even like riding a waist high wave <laughs> and <laughs> you can be having just these ultimate experiences away from crowds. And it's, to me, it's just brought so much joy and that stoke of surfing that I had when I was a little kid and those moments that are few and far between surfing big waves or really good quality surf here on Maui, you're having it more consistently in very average, mediocre, sometimes flat surf. Wow. It's fun. <laughs> That's so great. That makes me want to try. <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, that's so fantastic. I know, like, from, you know, Australia down here, the whole water person thing is is sort of on the edges, you know. Like, I'd say it's probably a little more like what, we all grew up in like the 90s sort of attitude still largely in Australia of being on pointy nose little thrusters, even like riding fishes and different shapes is sort of a bit too uh, edgy for a lot of people. It's here still a Huz. bit like that's not real surfing. Yeah, yeah. You're just, <laughs> you're just a tripper over there. But but then, you know, when you talk about long distance prone paddling, then you got stand up stuff and then kiting and foiling and all these different pursuits for me anyway, I've come from a paddling background largely. So when I see all these things happening in Hawaii, it's always really interesting to me because it feels like because there are more people willing to try a range of things there, it's almost like you're kind of futurists for us. Like we can look at you all there and be like, okay, I wonder how this foil thing's going to turn out. Maybe we'll give it a year and we'll see that they went from being massive, like five inch thick stand up foil board things down to the little potato chips that everyone's on now. And so, and then you've got the wing thing happening. So it's just neat to hear from you, like what's actually happening there right now. And considering we probably won't be able to get there this winter and be there in person and be with you all, it's neat to just get a bit of an insight into yeah, the range and the, just the awesome diverse ways to be stoked. 
it'd be really great to see more of that here in Australia for sure. More playtime. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to ask you about what you're dreaming up now, what you're working on now that you've had these kind of months of not so much wave surfing time. What are you what are you dreaming up, Paige? This winter is shaping up to be a, a completely new experience for me and my fiance Sean. We're actually building our first home. So I bought a piece of property about a year and a half ago that was a, a dream that kind of fell into my lap. Um, that's literally walking distance from where we live right now and walking distance from where my mom lives. And this little piece of property kind of fell into my lap and I had to stretch myself at all ends to be able to do it. And it somehow worked out and I'm in the middle of kind of just figuring out all the nuances and getting everything in line to build our little Ohana. We're building a thousand square foot two-bedroom little place and um, it's right on the edge of a beautiful gulch and we've been spending the past six months playing in the dirt and creating terraces in our gulch and getting everything kind of set up so as soon as we know where all of our trenches and all of that are going we can just start planting trees and it was a old pineapple field which most of Maui has been pineapple or cane at some point, but it used to be a pineapple field. So it's very depleted and needs to be revamped and brought back to life. And it's at first seemed a little bit daunting. And now it's all I can think about. I'm listening mm -hmm. to like the coolest podcasts on permaculture and talking to friends and creating compost piles and planting rows of vetiver that are pulling out all the toxins out of our soil. and just completely relearning and hoping to better this little chunk of land. And I have been so excited about it and we're pretty much down there like at any last couple hours of sunlight after Sean gets off of work or the weekends we've been down there a lot. And so that's going to be my project for the winters, hopefully surfing jaws with less people and, and building our home. I'm, we're going to do a lot of the work with our contractor so we'll be submerged in that for hopefully the next six months or so starting hopefully in december wow rad oh that's huge yeah. that's so exciting that's great We're psyched just kind of see that dream come to fruition is awesome because it's definitely something that i mean even a few years ago i thought that it was never going to happen it's just so expensive here to build and it has all kind of fallen into plates so yeah just really grateful and excited to get planting more oh, than anything. So great. <laughs> yeah, we can relate to that. Yeah. Is there a permaculture culture in Maui? There is. And I'm going to start to tap into that because it's, I mean, with the whole COVID thing, it's been kind of tricky, like reaching out to people, but I definitely have a few friends here that do it on, on their small farms and kind of just picking up little things, but I'd love to take like a course. And I actually listened to, I'm forgetting the name of the guy that you guys Jeff spoke Lawton. with. Uh, yeah. Yes. And I loved that podcast. <laughs> and I was listening to it while I was digging dirt and mixing compost piles at our property. And I was just so, I loved it. Great. So awesome. So inspiring. 
He's he's running an online course in October, and I think we're both going to do it too because we're super excited to learn more about the sort of philosophical approach as much as the design science. I signed up to look at some of his videos, so I might have to sign up for the course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we just went to Jeff's property for a bit of a spring tour where he walks around with like 15 or so people and shows everything they've done there for the last 15 to 18 years. And it was kind of like having a future glimpse of what our place will, will look like too. Could, could look like. Yeah, we'll, depending <laughs> on how like much cool. we get out of the water and <laughs> yeah. actually garden. Yeah. But it was unbelievable. I, I was all teared up walking around because it's just like, oh, you can pick some fruit there and oh, there's all this food on the ground and these food forests are thriving and there's just biodiversity everywhere. And it was too, once just logged and cattle farmed, no trees, just completely stripped. And in that short amount of time, it's just absolutely thriving. And yeah, it's just, it's something different when like you read all these books or you see the videos and you hear about all these ideas of permaculture and rewilding and, and it's fantastic. But when you actually walk around a place like that, or if it's the best, it gets into your bones eh? and you just can't forget it. Yeah. There's nothing like actually seeing it. Yeah, so epic. Just a quick reminder that we're running our annual giveaway. We're teaming up with our sponsors, Sanook and Gary McNeil Concepts, to give away some cozy footwear and for one lucky listener, a brand new custom Gary McNeil surfboard. To enter, all you have to do is hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Don't forget your name so we can find you and let us know what you think of the Water People podcast. You'll be entered to win a new custom board in time for the holidays. By rating and reviewing the podcast, you're really just helping us to get the word out, which keeps us digging up new stories and storytellers from our global ocean culture. Special thanks always to our sound engineer and in-house musician, Shannon Soul Carroll. On behalf of myself, Lauren Hill, and my partner in rhyme, Dave Rastovich, thanks for making the time to listen with us. We'll be continuing the conversation on Instagram, where we're at Water People Podcast. You can find every episode and some extras on our website, waterpeoplepodcast.com.